And now, making their way into the arena, hailing from the great pro wrestling state of Massachusetts, they are the hosts of the Top of the Cage podcast. Here are Bill and Juice. And thank you again, Rich Palladino, the voice of New England, always making us sound so beautiful and so good. And we have a few upgrades coming up this week, so we're always going to sound beautiful and good now moving forward. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, I am the super producer. I am Bill, joined always by my tag team partner. My wrestling confidant, he is the future booking genius and the prince of pro wrestling podcasts. He is Justin Juice Cannon. Boom, baby. And look at how beautiful you sound now. I got this, your old mic, little snowball man. Sound good, nice and crisp. That that you do, that you do, and that's that's what we do around here. We only get better. Say adios, my old shitty mic that was worse than my laptop audio. Adios, microphonos. Juice. I have to say that this has arguably been one of the biggest wrestling news weeks that's happened in a in a long history or at least like a more recent period of time. First, I feel like it all kicked off with MJF getting on the mic on uh, on Dynamite and calling Tony Khan a, quote, fucking Mark on live TV in front of the Discovery and uh, other people, like the execs of the network. And then, I mean, everything else that happened is going to be topics, but I feel like the next thing that happened... Um, and then we can get into this was all of the Sasha Banks drama. So, of course, quite a, quite a few weeks back, her and Naomi, who are still the current reigning women's tag team champions, by the way, they apparently had some sort of fit over how they were being booked on Monday Night Raw and both apparently walked out of the company of the show for that day. And now it's been coming up more and more. And it seems like a lot of reliable sources are now confirming this, but there has nothing been officially released that Sasha Banks has been released. That's kind of crazy to me. I feel like Sasha is a legit megastar. One of the megastars of WWE, at least in the past five, maybe even like, I would say 10. I know she hasn't been in WWE for 10 years, but like in the past 10 years, she's top three in women's performers, not only as a draw, but just as a general great wrestler. I think she has some credibility in the sense of that she had some she had some right with how the women's tag team championships were being billed. I mean, they were an afterthought, and they're still kind of an afterthought. I, I don't know, Juice. What do you think about this? It's interesting. Things develop. Like Wednesday, it was reported that she was released, but again, it was just a report, and that just means like people attacking Sean Rossap and Fightful for how they headlined it. They're like clickbait. I'm like, it's not clickbait. There's this thing called AP style that journalists use. And when you do a report, capitalized and semicolon, that means it is a report. It means it is not an official statement. It's not confirmation. It is really just like a rumor at this point. It is just a report. It's nothing official. So then yesterday and early this morning, it seems like, we still don't have official press release from WWE saying that she's released, but it's looking more so that it is confirmed that she is actually released. But we'll still, you know, follow along with it. We'll share stuff that we see on this as the story develops. My thoughts on this is she's such a big star that there's only one place she can go because she's massive. She's not someone, I mean, she can go to the Indies, but like, she's too big for the indies she's a megastar she's mainstream show up on hot wings she's a mandalorian like she's one of the biggest stars in wrestling that crosses over to other media like there's only one place she can go if she stays in wrestling and it's aw i i know like people oh everyone can't go aw i understand that but this is one where it's the only option like i get that she loves new japan and loves stardom but it's stardom's big i get that 
but is not big enough for Sasha Banks. Like it's, it's a W or she just retires from wrestling and focuses on movies. And I know she wanted to make a rap album. She focused on that, that that's the two options here in my eyes. And the tag division, like you said, like mistreated and like it, it's non-existent right now. Cause they were going to have a tournament to name the interim champs. And that got scrapped because they realized they have one tag team left. <laughs> Not even. It's not. It's a makeshift tag team. <laughs> so like, what they came do it, and Naomi and Sasha Banks were right in their gripe, saying that the tag team titles are afterthoughts, and they were gonna book both the tag champs in single feuds reportedly for the women's singles belts, and have them both lose, and having both your tag champs lose in another division that doesn't look good. And then also just like, I'm not having really teams to wrestle. Like, I get their gripes. I think they handled it kind of not the best way. But, I mean, Sasha Banks does it big. She's the boss. She calls the shots, not not WWE, not Vince. It's, it's the boss. So I'm curious to see what's next for the boss. I really hope she does stay around wrestling. I hope she goes to AEW. I think even though AEW's women's division has clearly been improving, they still need a megastar. I, I, Britt Baker's great, and they push her as such, but... She's not on the same level as Sasha Banks, Becky, Bailey, Charlotte, in my eyes. And I think Sasha would do big things for that program. And not just be their top woman star. She'd probably be top five. Probably top three draw in general. Like, I think after, like, Punk, she might be the biggest merch seller in that company. Really? With people like Moxley? I think so. I think she has... Kenny, the Bucks, you really think that? You know that following of Sasha's, like the Sasha Marks, they're hardcore. They're some of the most hardcore fans in wrestling. They die on that hill. They'll go with her wherever. She's a draw wherever she goes. If it's wrestling or wherever, like she, people didn't care about Star Wars, watch Mandalorian just so they could see like 15 minutes of Sasha Banks or Hot Ones or what I mean, Hot Ones doesn't need like a draw. They're pretty popular, but She's extremely big. She's she's mainstream. She's a name that people that don't follow wrestling are familiar with. One of the few that they know. Probably, I think she's a name that people are more familiar with than John Moxley. Definitely the Young Bucks. Young Bucks are awesome. One of the best tag teams in the world. But yes, I think she she would be the top. She would after CM Punk. She would be the number one merch seller. I think. In terms of segments on TV, I think only MGF would really beat her in segments because MGF usually does top the top the ratings, but maybe not because she's that she's fucking popular. So, and you just mentioned MJF, and it brings a question to my mind. So, if she goes to AEW, what's a contract going to look like for her? Like money wise, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's a contract that's going to make MGF's point of WWE people getting paid. I don't know. I, I don't even know what specific numbers CM Punk gets paid, but it's obviously a lot. I think it would be one of the biggest contracts, and it would be one that, that's comparable to a WWE contract like a Becky Lynch or a Roman Reigns, I think. I think AEW would have to pay that much to really secure. So um, I just looked it up. Uh, according to the Sun, Punk's deal includes a lucrative wage of three million dollars per year for the next three years. Okay. And then he is included that he has another that his overall net worth is around fifteen million in twenty twenty two from other ventures, including endorsements and appearances. So I think that's outside of AEW at that point. Okay. So I'm curious what Sasha Banks get paid well gets paid by wwe now because i know she got a pretty lucrative extension a few years ago right before the pandemic she was using aw that extort wwe to get a bigger contract which i mean that's smart that's what you should do wrestlers love there being two gigantic options now because they have the power they have the leverage so why not use it so uh according to essentially sports.com that reports uh, she apparently has a net worth currently of $3 million, and her WWE contract offers her a $250,000 per year. So I think she could easily get a mill then. 
Yeah, I think a mil. I think a mil would be the deal. Mil per year. For three years, I mean, I think that that's a, that's a steal in her eyes. AEW lets you go to a lot of places. Like if she did want to make an appearance at Stardom, uh, you know, she she could easily do that. She could go there for a month. Maybe she has some sort of like AEW title that she defends over there to to get more notoriety to them. Maybe she does have like a one off appearance in New Japan somehow, just as a manager to somebody. You know, maybe like a manager to an AEW wrestler. Like, like things like that. And she could even go to like an impact at that point too, if there's somebody in impact that she's been wanting to wrestle. Um, and she could go to other indies and stuff too. Like even like the bigger ones, you know, if she really wants to like put her name out there, I feel like AEW is a great place to do that. But you brought up a really good point in the fact that she has already transcended other forms of media and she's Snoop Dogg's cousin in case you didn't know. My personal opinion is that WWE really soured her on wrestling and she might go a CM Punk route where she does do other ventures and then eventually finds her way back to wrestling, but I don't think we'll see her in wrestling. I'll say until 2023. That'll be my prediction that she'll hold off for a little bit. AW, I'm sure, is going to come a knocking, but that's a fair timeline. I don't see her. Um, I don't see 90 days after the release her showing up in wrestling. Uh, I agree with you. It's going to be a while. I, or it, could be a while like that i'm thinking i'm i'm signing with you here probably gonna have to wait until at least 2023 but you never know who knows maybe tony maybe she already got the call and maybe tony already gave her that fat number that she could not refuse maybe maybe it's a part-time contract who knows i mean we'll we'll find out soon right <laughs> well the 90-day contracts, that's only that if you appear in another company, you just don't get paid, right? Like, there's no legal binding that just says, like, you can't wrestle for other companies. It just says that you can't accept payment for other companies, right? And then you forfeit the money that you're guaranteed from your WWE contract. I don't know if she has the rights to Sasha Banks' name. Um, I'm always... Yeah, but her name is fucking Mercedes... What is it? Mercedes... Uh... Navarro. I think it is Navarro, yeah. No. Uh, yeah. Venardo, Venardo, yeah. yeah. Like that's a that's a badass name in itself. I mean, she could even just go by purely Mercedes, and like that already like puts her at like a, a upper echelon and high caliber because of you know Mercedes Benz. But <laughs> I think that she could just go purely by Mercedes and like kill it. And she's a hometown girl, so like obviously I wish Shasta the best, but like. She's getting the bag. Like, WWE absolutely fumbled her, as they've been fumbling a lot of things recently. And I, I don't see it happening. But speaking of WWE, I feel like this has been the biggest news story that has broken in the past week or so. And that's around the man, the myth, the legend, Vince McMahon. Now, for anybody who is unaware, and we also reported this on our Instagram and Twitter pages, and if you don't follow us, that's at TOTC underscore pod. We'll get into that again a little bit later, but Vince McMahon has officially released his CEO and chairman duties of the WWE, and an interim CEO and chairwoman has been designated as Stephanie McMahon. However, Vince McMahon is still in control of creative, which to me is just absolutely wild. And this whole thing started because Vince McMahon paid a woman hush money because he had an affair with her. And it's also reported that he passed her to Johnny, Johnny Ace, John uh, Laurinaitis, as a quote-unquote toy. I saw one of the news articles say that the woman was, quote, passed around like a toy. Wrestling. There was, there was some uh, relatively popular, like, reporter who said, like, the main reason why everybody is like, LOL wrestling, LOL, that's just Vince McMahon, is because wrestling is treated as carny. It's treated as this super silly, not real thing because what they do isn't real, quote unquote. And they pretty much said, like, you need to hold accountability here, mainstream media, like, if you don't report on this, if you don't give this notoriety, like if we don't keep talking about this, there will be no restitution. There will be no 
consequences to Vince McMahon's actions. And like, this is something that needs to be like, hey, what you did is fucking not okay. Yeah, and it will set the standard, not just for the people, the higher ups, but we see so many scandals like this, like one woman being taken advantage and advantage of and treated like this uh, by like wrestlers themselves and not just the CEOs. And I think it would set set a great standard if Vince McMahon is held accountable. He is punished severely and Laurinaitis too and whoever else is involved. And they can take it seriously. I know usually, usually cases like this, the the the, billi- the defendant wins, the billionaire wins, that the famous person gets away with it, which is sad. It, it usually comes to settlement. It it sucks, but that's usually how it ends. I really hope that this is not how that ends. I really hope that this really changes how things are run. I I I hope it sets that people can't get away with this. Wrestlers, CEOs, uh, bookers, whoever they are, that they can't get away with this. It really changes the culture of wrestling because even wrestlers, like when little kids say, oh, I want to be a wrestler someday. I've heard a story of Shotzi, like a little girl said that the Shotzi Blackheart and Shotzi said, this business is not what you think it is, but I wish I'll luck you. But uh, I really, which that she's being honest that's awesome but i mean just like i don't want wrestlers to think that way i don't want the i want the woman to feel safe i want everyone to feel safe because you should if you're in a job as independent contractor or if you're signed to a contract or whatever you should feel safe in your work environment and we see in the nfl wwe nba that's usually not the case it's like all these freaking scandals you see cross board hollywood too just everywhere and just let's start to you know i really hope I really hope Vince McMahon does have to answer for what he's done here. Yeah, like the culture of wrestling has always been, oh, that's just the boys being boys. And like, as a man, there is a very distinct line to that. Like, like, like taking advantage of women, like that is absolutely over the line. Like that's way over the line. We're already way past the line at that point. And wrestling needs a culture change, I feel like. I feel like AEW does that very well. Granted, their women's division is still a little bit behind the eight ball, but they are producing a product that's not just overall masculinity, you know, focus on big muscular men who can just do big power moves and makes you feel like, oh, yeah, I'm a big man, brother. But yeah, it just needs to be accountability here. And Vince is a very interesting person. You know, this isn't the first scandal that Vince McMahon has seen obviously steroid trials um things with jimmy snooker uh, any other previous affairs and relationships that vince mcmahon's been a part of hell the guy even pitched a fucking incest storyline before and it took exact other execs to, to to knock it down from him he's crazy like he is a crazy man and i and i respect everything he's done for the wrestling business but this is somebody where if you hold these actions accountable, there is a culture change. There is a whole shift in the narrative of wrestling at this point. And maybe EC3 has a point that we need to control our narrative, but I don't know. Like, it's just silly that people think like, oh yeah, it's just Vince being Vince. That's just the boys being boys. Like, no, that, that's not an excuse. Especially nowadays in 2022, that, that's not an excuse anymore. That, that's not how the world works anymore. That's not how culture works anymore. As much as people who are in positions of power who are typically white men want to say that it's just not how the world works anymore no if you want if you want change you have to you have to actually freaking change things and we can't just fall in the same trends of people getting away with things and we've seen vince usually does come up top on these situations but like i already said i hope he doesn't i hope he needs to be held accountable everybody needs to be held accountable how about his how about his appearance on smackdown last night it was a good marketing move, but it also just fucked up because I know a lot of people were expecting him to comment on this. I was not. I was kind of expecting him to not. I thought it would be a little longer than what he did. I didn't expect him to, just to say the freaking new motto in the intro and that's it. Oh, that we together, blah, blah, blah. I knew he was not going to even refer to the case or anything like that. But I thought it would be longer, and I thought I didn't think it would be a goodbye. I know some people thinking that. I just thought it would be 
the starting would be what he did. And then he'd go in about a little bit more. I thought it'd be around like three and a half to four minutes long. It was like 40 seconds to a minute. It seemed like the only reason he did it because he knew that this is a big story that's in the media. And it was in, if he said, oh, Vince McMahon's going to speak on SmackDown, then clearly people are going to tune in the watch. And it was a ploy to get views, which you know, you're running company. That's the point. That's, I get that. That's what you're supposed to do, but it's just fucked up. And I think he, he, the people deserved more. And he thinks that the fans deserve more and the people deserve more. That was just dumb. (laughs) Silly. Silly. Absolutely silly. And there was also reports that yesterday he was cheery and joking around backstage too. I, I think that just speaks to the cynicism. Like, this Vince is just a cynical person and is just a legit crazy person. Wrestling is built off the carny bullshit, and Vince McMahon is the personification of that. Yeah. That might get me heat. That might get me buried. It might never get an interview with WWE, but hey, that's it. Is that's true? I'd rather be honest, and if we get punished for it, whatever. But I'd rather. Ooh, integrity is more important to me than getting the lessons. So. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I I hope that there is more to come out of this, but it's still silly. I was talking about this with mutual friend of ours, Matt, like last night, and he's saying like it's just clear that he he know he doesn't just think he's coming back; he knows he's coming back. Right. Just leave it at that. That's yeah, ridiculous. I think I think this leads us into our uh, last topic to talk about from from the wrestling news side. And again, something about accountability, something that is more of a sad story than the Vince McMahon story. That's just a little more angering and frustrating. And that is Jeff Hardy once again going back to his demons. His demons are once again winning. It seems, and I always wish Jeff nothing but the best, but. Jeff Hardy has been charged once again with a DUI on a suspended license, uh, driving apparently after a concert that he held where he was shown drinking multiple drinks, was drinking out of like a, a gallon jug that had alcohol in it, I guess. At like 10 in the morning, gets pulled over, blows like a, like a, I don't remember exactly what his number was, but it was a lot over the legal limit. And I watched the video of like the police interrogating him and doing like the sobriety test to him. And it's just sad. Like it's, it's really, really sad. You can tell he's not with it. You can tell he's out of it. Clearly intoxicated said that he was going to a brain scan by the way, which is another red flag, but does that give WWE credibility for releasing him in the first place? Remember the whole story of him walking out of the live event through the crowd, going crazy, and then he gets released, and then he's saying this, the whole Hardy family's saying this, and then WWE's saying that, and then he shows up in AEW, and, and here we are again. You know? Here we are again. Yeah. Well, I remember WWE thing. He was tested, and he was negative. There was no alcohol in the system. I'm like, yeah, but... How, how long was the test after? And I know, like, it can stay in the system for a while. But, um, I don't know. You, you're a professional. Walking out's not really what you should do. But this thing, I just... I mean, alcoholism is a disease. Seriously, has a problem. And I think I said this last time, uh, that I think that... Re- even though I love I love him as a wrestler, he's a huge part of wrestling, and I know he's one of the most popular guys out there. Everyone roots for him and roots for him to be his demons. But I think what usually when you become addicted to painkillers or uh, alcohol, it's because you're trying to just mask the pain from usually like that's why so many athletes succumb to these diseases and these problems and. The guy, he takes more risks than anyone in wrestling, and he's clearly always in pain, and he's trying to use alcohol and drugs to mask his pain. And if you keep wrestling, you're just adding to the pain, and you're making it harder for yourself to overcome this disease and beat it. So I think he should have retired a while ago 
And it, I think it would have, I'm not saying that he would never relapse, but I'm saying that would have made it easier to combat these demons. I think he needs to step away for good. He needs to retire, needs not send the ring. It, it's not just about being around family. That's not enough. He needs, he needs, he needs to support a family and to step away from in-ring action permanently and not even take a bump, not even take a single bump. Even if he comes back as a manager, I don't want to see him freaking take a freaking just, just a clothesline to the ground at the ring. I don't even, I don't want to see any of it. Not even like a straight up back bump. Yeah, I agree. Now he can get slapped like this, a light slap to the cheek. That's it. And even that might be too much. <laughs> I may grimace then. But what's scary about it too, and you actually brought up a really good point, is like that, you know, a lot of wrestlers fall into these addictions because of the pain. And think about the last match. <laughs> think about the last match that he had before this incident. Him and Darby Allen. Well, in the, the pay-per-view match too. Right, and the pay-per-view match too. Right. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I actually completely forgot about that. But like th- that's that's just the first thing that came to my mind though when you said that was like how many weapons, how many crazy high spots were there in that match? Not only done by Darby, but Jeff too. At some point, it becomes too much. And at some point, it's it's almost like watching watching your heroes fall, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and that's really what the situation is right now. And I think that you know, the Hardy camp has been handling this very strangely too. Matt Hardy's wife literally posted a TikTok the day of the match that they were supposed to have the day of the arrest. And it literally was like me being careless, blah, 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 blah. And like the Hardys being in another ladder match. And she's like, it was like her like crying or something like, like just doing to like a sound. And then this happens. Like, I don't know. It's weird. And like, I know that they're pretty much saying like, Jeff is fine. Jeff is fine. Jeff is fine. But I don't know. Like it's, it's just, I, I, after all of this, I, I don't want to see him in a wrestling ring again. Like, truly. Like, I, I don't want to see something bad happen in the ring again. Like, I don't want to see another victory road. I don't want to see, you know, I, I just don't want to see it happen again. And I, I think it's weird, too. Like, Matt, it was in an interview. Um, I don't remember if it was sometime this week. It must have been. But he pretty much said, like, I attribute a lot of Jeff's demons to, like, our mother passing when he was young. And that that could easily be a catalyst i understand but it's also reported that he refused wwe sponsored rehab and i don't know it's just strange to me it's just a very strange thing i don't want like i think it's weird that they try and like put excuses to it or like put other reasoning to it besides the fact that like he 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 does need help and i hope at least now that there the help is is being had uh you know jeff has a wife young children you know it it would just be sad to see something happen at this point and i've gone on record plenty of times in this podcast saying he is one of my favorites especially as a kid you know one of the biggest reasons why i've always wanted to like be creative and go out there and put my always put myself out there and it's it's just sad honestly you know just it's like kind of like what i said before like seeing one of your heroes fall at this point yeah from a very dark podcast but it's stuff that has to be talked about but um from like a personal standpoint i won't get too deep into it but i've seen personally like people close to me have battles like this and it doesn't have a happy ending when they refuse to get help and they refuse the treatment usually it how it ends is they die and their family is hurt by their death because they die through overdose of drugs or uh, drinking and driving and, or they, they end up in jail because they kill someone or just it's terrible. And I don't want that to happen to Jeff. I heard that AW offered him treatment and uh, he's, he's, you know, he's uh, working with them and hopefully he, he does end up going through with it. And I hope he gets the help he needs. I hope he can, you know, just finally beat this and be there for her, be there for his family and be there completely and aware. And it's, is it a tough battle? Of course it will be, but we've seen people 
beat it before. We've had a former guest, JT Dunn, who just had his 10-year sobriety. Congrats on him, like, recently. Like, there's – you can do it. I believe in you, Jeff. Like, like Billy, like, I'm a fan. Like, a lot of people got into wrestling because of Jeff. So, good luck to Jeff and in this fight. And I really hope that he falls through and finally goes all the way through his treatment. And I hope 10 years down the road – I can say happy 10-year sobriety to Jeff. Completely agree. Well, we're going to end the podcast on a more happy note and not as, well, it's probably going to be pretty controversial considering the person we're going to be talking about. But uh, for those of you, well, I guess I'll start by saying uh, that Juice, you are introducing a new segment. Uh, It kind of has like a half name, it seems like. Yeah, it's still in the development stages. <laughs> well, it has a half name. We can at least uh, ex- explain what the segment is called, and you can let us know on social media what we should call it. Uh, and the topic is to essentially pick a wrestling superstar, mainstream or indie, and state our opinions on them about their character and what we do and don't like about them. Uh, but for anybody who doesn't know, not only is this month Pride Month, but it is also John Cena Month, <laughs> which I thought was very interesting move by WWE, but it is John Cena's 20th anniversary in professional wrestling for WWE this month, and everything has been about John Cena. So what better time to introduce the segment and talk about such a polarizing character than John Cena? So Juice, I'm sure you've been thinking about this, so why don't we, uh, why don't we start with you on this topic? I thought it'd be cool just like some, so usually we're usually pretty unsync and stuff, but I kind of just... Well, eventually we'll get the wrestlers that we differ, and I think it would be not just cool for the listeners to hear our takes, but also, like, we can get into a debate in some things. I don't know how much of debate we'll get in here, but uh, John Cena, we're obviously both from Mass, and John Cena's from West Newberry, and not just from Mass. Like, uh, we're both from Haverhill, and West Newberry borders Haverhill. We can get to, like, it doesn't... Cross, cross one bridge and you're there. Yeah, it... I, I from where I used to live, it, it was a 15. I'm pretty sure it was like a 15, 18 minute drive to John Cena's house. Hell, I've been pulled over by John Cena's brother before. <laughs> that's that's crazy. And I've I've met his dad once. That's my only interaction with the Cena family. I've never met John Cena. I've never met the brother. I've never nothing like that. Um, but uh yeah, I, I feel like a lot of people in the Haverhill area had some type of interaction with the Cena family at one point. Like they were pretty like active. <laughs> And their house sits on like on top of a hill that's beautiful too. Like I've I've never personally seen it before, but I've told, heard plenty of stories from people from the surrounding area being like, yeah, like literally, it's like you see the house that's on top of a hill, and like you're like, yep, that's the Cena family house. Which is crazy because West Newberry is a, a a rich town and full of very very nice houses, extremely nice houses, and that one being um really sticking out says a lot get back to talking about john cena himself when i was a kid obviously he was well even now he's one of the biggest wrestling superstars he's a big topic and even when the fans just turned on him except the fans of massachusetts it's always just you know WWE loves him um of course his start there was a chance of him getting released when he first started and stuff and then we see um just a change of character and him you know the doctor thugonomics and just that was great and um i think it's one of our buddies like it was his favorite wrestler and he's big on rap and i feel like maybe that's why he's big on rap because john cena's big like influence not saying john cena was a good rapper but i loved hearing his funny raps and wrestling and the insults and it's inspired characters like max caster and others that do stuff like that and it's even inspired uh, our truth, who was uh, John Cena was his childhood hero. <laughs> Naturally. Yeah. Guy older than John Cena. Um, but yeah, I take, when I was a kid, he wasn't actually my favorite. Like, I was like, oh, John Cena is nice, but he's bland. I like the, I like the big meaty guys. I liked like the Batistas. I like, I like the dudes who like did dances in the ring. Like the Spinner Rooney was like the coolest thing in the world to me as a kid. So I love Booker T. Like, I feel like Randy Orton, too. Like, I feel like I always rooted for the guy 
who was against John Cena. If it was Batista, if it was Randy, if it was Edge, it doesn't matter who it was. I was always on the other side. And also, like, one guy I constantly followed was Undertaker, who was really separated from John Cena for a while. So, like, the things I was really invested in wasn't John Cena. So, for a while, I was, I thought he was bland. Like, even, it, like, once we, the Dr. Thumbnail character was kind of gone, I kind of started, I had a little bit of interest in the character at that point. And then I lost interest again. And then I said I really didn't regain interest until I got back interest in wrestling for a few years ago. Why? Because he wasn't really on TV. <laughs> you don't see him for a while. He comes back. It's a face I'm really familiar with from childhood. And like, um, also just hearing about like how nice of a human he is and like all the things he's done for make a wish and stuff like that. And like acting wise, like I warmed up to him, but getting back to like character and in the ring work, character really never never resonated with me i think the things that about him that resonated most was the original attitude adjustment name fu like he had great finisher names i was like i like his finisher names and in the ring i thought he was kind of bland and i think that's one thing that also changed going back and watching his matches now like and as a kid i didn't really understand the nuances of storytelling and physical storytelling so things like that would go over my head and now going back and seeing his CM Punk Money Bank matches or just just the little things like like it was a, when I was a kid, I also thought Stone Cold and Rock was bland because they only had a few moves. All I could do was talk. Like I liked hearing them talk. And then like now I I mean I love them. I love them as a kid because the talking. But in the ring, like I didn't think there was anything less special. But again, that's because I didn't pick up on the storytelling. And I think as older, I appreciate John Cena more because I understand that he is his grasp of storytelling and what the business is and what you're supposed to do in the ring and the tradition of wrestling. His understanding is top tier and he's an extremely creative guy. And I get that now. And I think my take on him is a lot more positive now than it was when I was a kid, which is usually the reverse. I feel like most people... The little kids, like John Cena was big with the little kids, the little kids wearing all the, the swag, the hat, the, the word life. So it's it's really strange for 27-year-old to become a John Cena fan now and not be a John Cena fan when he was eight, where mo that's it's usually the reverse for John Cena. That's kind of my takes on John Cena. I started watching wrestling in 2007. That was WrestleMania 23. And John Cena made a event of that WrestleMania. So my real exposure to John Cena was already, he was the WWE champion when I first got into wrestling. It, that, that was a common theme. And, you know, he main evented the first pay-per-view I ever really was into against Shawn Michaels of all people too. So good match. But a few of the points that you brought up to, Cena is known for the five moves of doom. and. For anybody who doesn't know what they are, they are the FU, the STFU, depending on what era of John Cena you watched. Uh, it was the three shoulder blocks into the five knuckle shuffle. Um, and then it was, oh, what's four and five? Wow, I'm, I'm blanking on four and five right now. Maybe you just said three. Was it the three? Were the three shoulder blocks different than the five knuckle shuffle? I think they were. Because yeah. then he had the he had the top rope leg or like the middle rope leg drop too, right? He would drop a leg across the back of their neck. Yeah, I'd say the shoulder tackles are different because sometimes it would just it wouldn't be a pro. So like the shoulder, the signature John Cena shoulder tackle. And then in later he did the springboard stunner, which was something. And then now he has what the spinning back fist, right? The... Yeah. <laughs> so there's seven now, but but you're right in that the sense of John Cena always knew how to tell a story in the ring. And I was listening to this thing recently where WWE was just interviewing some current wrestling superstars who were like, what did John Cena teach you? And a lot of them were like, John Cena necessarily didn't tell me anything. It's what he showed. You know, he was a locker room leader. You know, he, he always would just be so in tune with the crowd. He would always know what to do at what moment. And that is what he always tried to teach the younger generation is just feeling the crowd, knowing what they want, knowing what's next. 
And that's especially in the world of, of WWE on live televised TV where you're trying to get that crowd reaction. That's major. It's massive. And that's a big part of wrestling is storytelling. In terms of character work, Dr. Thugonomics is an OG. True OG. Like almost anybody who followed wrestling when they were a kid at one point liked John Cena. You, you, you eventually realized that he was Super Cena. LOL Cena wins. Big match, John, whatever you want to call him. Like, man is a 16-time world champion for a reason, and rightfully so. He was a legit draw, and you can never deny that. I feel like my first time being soured on John Cena, not that I'm and not that I hate him, because I feel like I grew to get tower to get tired of him. I didn't watch wrestling for a little while and then I came back to it, but was when he had his first feud with The Rock. Because The Rock just straight up called him everything that was wrong with him fruity pebbles uh cookie puss you know like like just saying like you are vanilla you are you know like made to be a rainbow of merchandise and you do it well but you know you are not me essentially you know you'll never be me and then of course you know the torch got passed but the next time I really liked the inclination of Cena was when he was the United States champion because of everything we talk about. I feel like we've all like culmination of everything that we always say, like you need stars to put up your, your mid card titles. And at a time where Brock Lesnar had a, a absolute chokehold on the WWE title, John Cena was the U S champion. He was putting on bangers of matches you know, like he was, he was doing the John Cena open challenge where he would get wrestling guys like Neville, Cesaro, Sami Zayn, you know, it debuted Kevin Owens through that. Like all of these talents that are now in wrestling, like some of the top tier wrestling talents, top tier wrestling characters, you know, like John Cena openly and willingly put himself out there. Granted, he always won, but he made them look so good, you know. Cena also doesn't really get a lot of credit for his selling. Like I feel like he doesn't sell a lot in his matches, but when he sells, when he looks like he's getting defeated and when he comes back and fights back, his facial expressions sell it well. His body language sells it well. And he just really makes you believe in the story. And I think that the Cena that kind of we saw towards the later end of the teens into like the 2020 era was, was great. Uh, he was willing to lose, he was willing to put guys over, and he was willing to just make you believe again, you know, make you believe like wrestling is about characters, wrestling is about stories, and he put on classics with AJ Styles for the WWE title. I mean, he ate, he lost to AJ Styles multiple times. Think about that. Think about saying that in like 2008, right? 2009, 2010. Like, Wrestling fans probably would never believe that back in that time. But the way that the story was told, the way that both those characters were built up in, in that time frame, it was believable. It was AJ is on the same level as John Cena, which any hardcore wrestling fan probably would have agreed with at that time too. But I don't know. Like You can hate John Cena, and I understand why you hate John Cena. LOL, Cena wins. Dude just pushes the kids. Dude just pushes merch. But he is so genuine. And he also has, like, one of my favorite wrestling stories ever. And it's a Chris Jericho story that uh, Chris Jericho always said that he, like, you know, he, he, he was a drinker. He could outdrink most people, except John Cena. And the story goes that him and Cena were up drinking late one night. And, like, Chris said that he remembered passing out. And when he woke up, he woke up at, like, 3 or 4 in the morning to a wide awake John Cena, drinking a drink, scrolling through Chris's iPod and judging his music taste. <laughs> That's great. Like, just, that is so funny to me. <laughs> like, it's just so silly. But you know, like, even when guys like CM Punk, like when somebody like CM Punk has nothing that bad to say about you, granted, you know, he, he had his gripes because Cena was Cena, and well, more like WWE was WWE. It wasn't anything against Cena that, that Punk had a gripe with involving Cena, but 
like when Cena or when Punk even says like Cena's a good dude, Cena's willing to do the job when he needs to. Cena is willing to put like himself out there for you. That's great. But Cena also did have a bad side, and we can't forget that. Remember the Nexus? I fucking loved the Nexus. Mm-hmm. I thought that all of the members of the Nexus were the next thing. I thought the Nexus was like the next NWO. I thought they were going to take over. I was like, I'm all for these guys. Nope. Sheena goes over every single one of them clean. I think that's part of why it took me so long to finally get in the wagon too. Cause like I was also all in Nexus. <laughs> and uh, Alex Riley too. I-, I liked Alex Riley. I won't lie. Like I thought him turning on the Miz, like was a real, like he would at least been like a mid carder. But no, apparently Cena didn't like him. And Cena always shot down everything about Alex Riley. So now he's an afterthought. Now he's a trivia answer. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, there are things like you listen to Freddie Prince's podcast. Uh, Freddie always says he respects John Cena, but they butt head constantly. Like John Cena, like, crashed one of his uh, promo teaching classes. And, like, John Cena didn't see why – freddie was even there why they need even needed promo classes uh because this was when he was on top of the world he was younger he was arrogant he was like yo i don't i don't need help with promos so while these people too i'm like well not everyone's you john and that's what freddie said too and um you know they never completely saw eye to eye but you know john cena is obviously matured and this people have done a lot worse <laughs> so there yeah. are, and we talked about them earlier in this episode. So yeah, like John Cena's a stand-up guy. He's a stand-up wrestler. He means a lot to a lot of people. Like a lot of, like you know, the kid, the kiddos, the kiddos go crazy. Kiddos dress exactly like them. The they still do, and they still do. They still do, and the the characters like that are important too. I know some people complain like, oh, they're only relevant because they resonate with the kids. But I'm like, yeah, but that's how you get. That's how you get the fans, like the me, you, the, the people that are older, you become a fan from a kid and you make a real connection with a certain wrestler or usually that's how it goes. Like you see the kids dressed up like Orange Cassie nowadays, like those are going to become the super fans, though they're going to get their kids into it. It's important. And um, yeah, I, I, I love that part of wrestling. You know, some people don't, but I, I do. I, I think it's cute when you see the. <laughs> The Darby Allen face paint kids roaring at Darby. Darby! <laughs> right. And you're not going to... And kids don't give a fuck what Meltzer thinks about a match. Kids don't give a fuck what the internet thinks about a match. They don't want to see five-star classics. They want to see their favorite wrestler win a hard-fought match or lose in a valiant effort and still cheer them anyway. You know? And John Cena really did that well. He yeah. knew his audience, he knew how to play to them, and he did, and he's arguably the most successful wrestler that's ever existed. Yeah, and he's he, he kept the, the there's a lot of dark parts of wrestling that the, the the parts that are pure is those moments of that are catered to the kids, and he kept those those pure moments. He's he is a pure wrestler and an important part of it important part of the industry and you know obviously i picked john cena because of john cena month and i wanted to see our takes on him and really dive into it a little more and who do you think is your the best rival of john cena randy orton okay i go with edge see now that we could argue about i feel like we could definitely argue about that if we're talking about like in the mid to early 2000s yeah it's edge but once you get to the late 2000s into the early 2010s it's definitely randy orton yeah i mean if those two aren't cross your mind when you're thinking about that like there's a few that can't but like those are the two that pop in my mind and like the first the first feud that pops in my mind is him and jbl because that's obviously the one that launched him but like Mm -hmm. randy and edger the ones I always like flip flop between which one is bigger. And like, I think I go with edge over Randy because it wasn't just the great matches. It was not just great storytelling. Like it was really like um, highlighting important vignettes and these other pro- like other things that propel storylines. It really 
I thought it brought out the best of both characters. It brought out the best of the baby face, the guy that you really, the underdog you really root for, and John. And it really brought this, this, the ultimate, this, uh, just edge, the, the opportunist, just the, the psycho, just the absolute just, scumbag. Yeah, just like the guy that we're, well, we got to see for two months before Judgment Day turned on. <laughs> just that, like it, it's just an awesome combination of both characters in an arc that some people say it's overstayed their welcome and i agree with that but like the the best points of the feud uh, always is a big you know resonates with me and the reason that it overstayed the welcome they did so many rematches and so stuff is because it worked (laughs) because they thought oh you know it's, it's hard these guys are two of the best keep putting them together and sometimes you'll miss, but most of the time you did not miss, you hit. And, you know, you make the same argument from Randy, too. Sometimes they miss, but, like, most of the time they did not miss because those two are pros and two of the best to do it, and they know what they got to do in their roles. Agreed. And you could even say CM Punk is in there, too, but I don't think they were as impactful as Edge and Randy Orton were. No, but I, I would debate that. I think my my two favorite John Cena matches are both with Punk. It's the Raw one where like CM Punk was sick and they put on like a classic on TV, one of the best TV matches I've ever seen. And then, of course, Money in the Bank 2011. Like that is that is one of the best matches. Some people say some people that's their favorite match of all time, and I see why. That was a fucking masterpiece. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But. You guys can let us know on social media what you think about John Cena, your favorite matches, what you like, don't like about him or the character. And, I mean, he's polarizing, so I'm sure you got something to say. But Juice, where can those people tell us that? Yeah, on Twitter, it's capital T, capital O, capital T, capital C, underscore, capital P, lowercase O, lowercase D. That's our Twitter. Let us know those things. And Instagram, T-O-T-C underscore P-O-D. It's all lowercase. Uh, let us know. Um, look at our posts. Uh, we got cool reels that go on there. Like, you know, let us know what you think of those. Give those some likes and shares and stuff. And, yeah, we'll see you guys on there on the interwebs. Yes. And as we come crashing down to the mat on this episode of Top of the Cage, we want to thank you all so much for tuning in. If you are listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please make sure to leave that five-star review because if you, specifically you, that person who is not giving us the five-star review, do not give us that five-star review, you will not get five-star content. And that is just a fact. And again, thank you everybody so much for tuning in and we will catch you next time.